Do you like to read uh, mysteries? Have you ever enjoyed reading a good whodunit? Sherlock Holmes comes to mind. Or any kind of big mystery. You know, lots of books that aren't even in the category mystery contain a good deal of mystery because this is one of the ways that writers make sure you keep reading because they want you to go to the next page. And so they want to leave you wondering what's going to happen. And it's a lot of fun, isn't it? to wonder what's going to happen. You know, as a youth pastor especially, but even as a pastor, if I asked people what they wanted us to discuss or study, the answer was probably the most common answer was, what's going to happen? They wanted to know about Revelation, about the coming of Jesus. What's going to happen next? I don't know if you've ever noticed that the Bible is a great mystery. It is one of the most... Uh, one of the greatest works of literary genius, wait, maybe I shouldn't say it that way. Maybe I should say, it is the greatest work of literary genius ever produced. Even the way it was produced is a great work of literary genius on the part of God. And the way the story is weaved, woven, yeah, the way the story is woven, and not just in the text, but in the history that the text reports. And the way the whole narrative of the Bible is woven together is a great mystery story written by God in the course of human events. It's quite miraculous. You know, when I was in high school, I first read this book called The Count of Monte Cristo. Have you ever read that book? Alexander Dumas. Now, I read it in English, of course, and I think I read an abridged version <laughs> which was still a massive book. And I remember when I read it, I thought, man, how did anyone think of this? Because it's famous for its intricate plots. These, all these different plots that are winding through the whole story. And these characters appear, and then later you figure out who they really are. And blah, all this 
winding together, this weaving, and then boom, right toward the end, you figure it all out. I remember thinking, man, this Dumas guy is a genius. How do you get this all out of his own head? Well, that's nothing compared to the genius of the work that is the story of the Bible, the very story of our God. Now, you might wonder whether it's really right for me to call it a mystery story, so I do need to prove it to you. And the proof is in the text we're looking at this morning, Ephesians chapter 3, where we read this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed in, uh, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Now Paul says here that the story of the Bible, the story of Christ, is a mystery, now revealed. So we live at the end of the story, after everything has has become clear. But here's an approach I might suggest to you when you're reading the story. The Old Testament Heart. What you might want to notice is that in that whole story, that long history, and even the songs that are included, and the proverbs that are included, and the prophecies that are included, and every aspect of it is 
the build-up to the big reveal. And the big reveal is Christ. Everything in that story, every little thing in that story, has some function in bringing us to the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said this and he said, when he said to the Pharisees, if you believed Moses, you'd believe me because Moses wrote about me. So somehow, when you're back there reading Leviticus, you might want to ask yourself the question, where is it in here? Because it's in there. It's in there. And it wasn't obvious, or even, we might say, even visible. Just like when you're reading a great book and all these little details are just kind of tucked in there. They don't even seem important when you read them. And then later, Sherlock says, well, you remember the dust on his shoes? Proof! What is this mystery? That's what we're going to talk about. Now, Paul says, you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace. So, what we're going to start with here is Paul's stewardship of grace. Paul's stewardship of grace, and this stewardship is the stewardship of grace that is now extended to Gentiles in a way that nobody anticipated. Now, we've already talked about that in chapter 2, right? In fact, chapter 2 is really the story. How did God bring everything together in Christ? Bring all people together in Christ. So, Paul talks about his revelation and insight. Things that he had been made known to him that were not made known before. You see, Paul didn't just, Paul wasn't just a better reader of the Old Testament than anyone else. He didn't figure it out. It was revealed to him. This revelation. And he says, this is what I was writing about in chapter 2, and uh, you can see it there. That now Paul has this great insight. Where did he get it? Well, he got it from Jesus. He actually met with the risen Jesus for some period of days. You remember when Jesus met the men on the road to Emmaus? You remember what he did? He showed them the mystery. He explained to them from the Scripture, the Old Testament, because all that, that's all the Scripture there was then. He explained to them from the Scripture. He went through the Scripture and said, see this here and this here and this here and this here? This here. He did the same for Paul. So now this mystery is made known that wasn't made known before. Now it's uncovered. It's been uncovered to the holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit, he says here. 
They didn't figure it out. It was shown to them. A supernatural work of God. And when you stop and think about this, what that means is God wrote the Old Testament for this purpose. Now, I don't know that Moses wrote the Old Testament for this purpose, but God did. I don't know that, well, with Isaiah, it seems kind of obvious. But Isaiah, the Scripture says, the Scripture we read just a few minutes ago, says they couldn't figure it out exactly who this was about. But now we know. And they, it says, realized that they were writing for us. You see a very similar thing in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews by faith, all the story. It goes through the whole Old Testament story. This guy, this guy, this guy, this woman, this guy, this guy. The whole outline of the famous people of the Old Testament who by faith did this or that thing. And at the end it says, but they didn't get it. Because God was waiting to deliver it in Christ to us. So now we see Christ. And now we see Christ where they weren't able to. So Paul writes here, he became a servant of this gospel. Now, you might have a translation that says a minister of this gospel. But I want to tell you that the word for minister, and this is almost always true in the English Bible, the word minister is literally the word servant, diakonos. It's the word from which we get the word deacon. And what is a deacon? Well, we think of a deacon as kind of a leader in the church, except that's really not a correct understanding of the Bible's word deacon. It literally means waiter. That person you sit down in a restaurant, that person that comes and asks you what you want them to do and then does it for you and then brings it to you, that person is a deacon. If we were ancient Greek speakers, that's what we would call that guy. Where is the deacon, we would say. And so this word is servant. It means someone who waits on someone, who does someone else's bidding. And what is Paul a servant of in this text? Of this gospel, this good news. So Paul, having received this amazing revelation, serves this amazing revelation. Now, he serves it to us, to the world, to everyone, and to anyone, including Gentiles, which is amazing, because that's not what anyone expected. He's a servant, he says, according to the gift of God's grace by the exercise of God's power. How did Paul become the Apostle Paul? 
He did not become the Apostle Paul because he was an extraordinary genius. Though perhaps he was. He did not become the Apostle Paul because he was a crazy type A workaholic, which he probably was. He did not become the Apostle Paul by his own effort or decision. He did not even volunteer for the job. In fact, when he was called to be an apostle, he was busy trying to extinguish faith in Jesus Christ from the face of the world. And that is why he says, less than the least of all the saints. That's a literal translation of what's written here. Or you could say the leastest of all the saints. And when Paul says this, he says it in various places in the New Testament. When he says it, he is not kidding around. He is not using some kind of humble, false, you know, humble brag kind of language. He's, he means it. He knows where he came from. He knows who he was until Christ laid hold of him. So when he says, I'm the least of all the saints, it goes together with, according to the gift of God's grace, by the exercise of God's power. Not Paul's power, God's power. By the way, the same thing is true of every one of us who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said it to the apostles personally. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. We've already read it, I don't know how many times, here in the book of Ephesians. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And Paul became a servant of this gospel to preach. Well, that's just what you do with gospel. <laughs> I sometimes think we should do away with the English word gospel. And instead of using the English word gospel, we should say good news. Because that's a more, well, communicative expression. That is, when you see the word gospel in the English New Testament, it is translating the word euangelion or some variation of that. I'm probably not saying it right. But it literally means good message. Good news. When you are the recipient of good news, you preach. You can't help it. And so Paul, having received this gift, becomes a servant of it. And he preaches this. What is the good news? The unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, us Christians, we get distracted by this world. How much we forget. How much we forget. The riches of Christ. <laughs> 
Now, this is part of the reason why I've given the homework assignment while we're studying the book of Ephesians, and really I think you should do this the rest of your life. Read the first chapter of Ephesians every day. Because it is a little bit of a list of the unsearchable wealth that is ours in Christ that you don't earn, that you don't go out and get, that you had nothing to do with other than saying, okay, I'll have that. And the redemption, the forgiveness, the inheritance, all those things. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given. And so Paul says it's a, the, the most fantastic privilege to be the slave of this message. I'm quite sure that because he understood the magnitude of God's grace, the unsearchable riches in Christ, he could not help speaking about it. Now, there's things like that in your life. They happen on a pretty regular basis. Something good happens to you or to someone you know. What do you do when something good happens to you or to someone you know? What can you not help doing? Telling people. And so we want to come here every Sunday we want to come in here and remember the unsearchable riches of Christ. And because they're unsearchable, we can never get to the bottom of it. No matter how hard we study or work or try or sing or shout or share or pray or whatever, we are always coming only barely scratching the surface of the unsearchable riches of Christ. We want to think about just how rich we are in Him. And knowing that we are rich in Him and not because we went out there and scratched and clawed and made our way and fought up to the top and worked and worked and worked and so we became finally one day kind of rich. No. Because it was just dumped out of heaven onto us in Him. We can't find the shore of it. Well, when I understand that, I talk about it and I share it and I become generous because my position is absolutely secure I really don't have to worry about what you think of me and I can say stuff that might offend you if it's good for you I can say whatever I think is a blessing I can 
behave with foolish generosity. I cannot give away the surpassing riches in Christ so as to ever run out. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And Paul points out here that his servanthood of the gospel is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Now we've seen this expression, the unsearchable riches, three times already in the book of Ephesians. He says it another way, to enlighten everyone about the administration of this mystery. One translation, one really excellent translation, you know how they decided to translate that expression? The, uh, this one says, uh, sorry, let me find it. Uh, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of this mystery. One, another translation which I used in the outline in your bulletin, the administration of this mystery. It's literally the word, the economy of this mystery. Here's one translation said it this way, God's secret plan. That is a really good way of saying it. Paul's here to enlighten everyone about God's secret plan. And we read about this in chapter 1. What was his secret plan? The summing up of all things in Christ. And then in chapter 2, especially the summing up of all people. The placing all people in the headship, under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God made flesh. And he's saying, now I have this mystery, I've been enlightened, that's been shown to me, and I'm about the business of showing it to everyone, the, the secret plan of God, the administration of this mystery hidden in God, the Creator. Now that's interesting. He doesn't just say hidden in God. He says God the Creator. I wonder why he feels the need to bring up the fact that God's the Creator at this moment. Because God wrote this story. And as we read, before the foundation of the world, God's plan was a plan of summing up all things in Christ. God's plan was a plan of redemption before sin came into the world. God's plan was a plan of recovering lost people before He made any people. God is the author. And so this mystery has been hidden in God, but... It's coming out now. What is the mystery? He says it right here in verse, what is it, 6? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We have a little 
like we did before. Remember when we were made alive together? And when we were raised up together? And when we were seated together? And we had these words that started with the little Greek uh, prefix soon, meaning together? Well, we have it again here. We are... I can barely say this. Sun kleranamas, heirs together. Heirs together. How are you an heir? Well, not without me. It's not that I'm an heir and you're an heir and he's an heir and she's an heir. It's that we're heirs together. And how are we heirs together? Because we are in Christ who is the heir of all things. So I don't inherit anything. We inherit in Him. We are heirs together. This is really kind of the point of the book of Ephesians is that the Christian life is a life in the community of Christ, the body of Christ, the family of God in Christ, one new man in Christ. And then he says, members together of one body. You know that expression in English is all one word in Greek? Susomos. It means together in one body. <laughs> together, and of course, he's going to make more of this coming up. Susomos. One body. Sum metokos. Metakos. I can't, I don't know. Sharers together. Sharers, partakers of the promise. Partakers together of the promise. So, each of us is a participant in the promises of God. This is the part where it's really surprising if we're talking about Gentiles. Really, any of these things. And that's kind of the point, that these things are applied, that there was a way in the Old Testament for a Gentile to become a Jew, to become one of the people of God. But here, this is a whole nother thing. This is a, a Gentile partaking in the promise apart from that, directly, Becoming an inheritor in association with Christ without becoming a child of Israel. How, does, how is this done? He says it here in the text. Through the gospel. Through the gospel. <laughs> in Christ Jesus. This, in my mind, begs this question, why was this hidden? Why, when Jesus says, Moses wrote about me, do they get mad at him? Which they did. Why was this hidden? Why the mystery? Why didn't the Lord and the prophets just say, 
He's coming. His name is Jesus. He's going to be born of the Virgin Mary. I mean, he said little stuff, little hints of those things, but he didn't just come out and say, oh, and by the way, this is him, everyone. Well, he did, and people ignored it when he was baptized, for example. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus said, well, people ignored the testimony, even the very testimony of God himself. But why was this a mystery written into the pages of the Bible? The answer is right here in the text. So that the manifold wisdom of God could be revealed. (laughs) So that the manifold wisdom of God could be revealed. In other words, God wrote the book of human history so that it could have an O in the middle. So that he could pull the cover off at some point and everyone would go, wow, I didn't realize. You see, there's something glorious in the revelation of a thing previously hidden. We all know this because that's why we read books. That's why we turn the page. It's built into us. It's built into the very world we live in. It's built in even to the heavenly world because who's this for? So that now the manifold, so that now the manifold wisdom of God could be revealed. Now. Apparently not then. Now. So that there could come a time when God comes on the scene and everyone goes, oh, so that's what he was talking about. Because this is great and glorious. Now, how? Through the church. So that story we read about how God put, or Christ, put Gentiles and Jews together in one new man by the work of his cross and reconciled the one new man by the blood of his cross to God in one body, not each in our own bodies, but in one body, that whole story, the assembling together of the church by the work of the cross, not by the work of our testimony, by the work of the cross, that is where everyone goes, oh, that people are born into one new man in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised him from the dead and will raise us from the dead. That is the aha of the great mystery of all of human history. Now, through the church, to whom? Now, this is where it really goes a little sideways in my mind. Who is reading the story? Now, we are. Okay. But here, who is it? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. <laughs> So what's going on on the day of Pentecost when we see finally revealed this great 
one new man thing. All the languages, I mean, one, one nation from all the nations, one people from all the peoples, one body, one new body in Christ. What's that for? In heaven, the angels all go, Oh! Wow! We were wondering why on earth the Son of God would die. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, the revelation of the great mystery of all history is for their witness in this text. We are actors in a play put on for them. And this, he says here, is according to the eternal purpose to which I say, see chapter 1. The eternal purpose, the, that ancient covenant of the triune God that said, here's what we're going to do. That eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, at this point, you could say, oh, well, we're just puppets. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't mind if you say that. Very, very, very crazy, ridiculous, sophisticated puppets. I had a friend one time who said we're like the we're like the little plastic soldiers and we're for someone else's entertainment. Now, that I think does sort of belittle the situation quite a bit. But at this point, when we say that this, this great revelation was a revelation aimed at the heavenly host as opposed to our own vision, we might wonder, well, gee, what are, what are we? So thankfully, we have this in Him. We have. That's the next verse. In Him... We have boldness and confident access. Well, that ought to remind you of the book of Hebrews. Confident access. What Christ has done, what we are, is really the pinnacle of God's creative work. Angels are not made in the image of God, but we are. And in the body of Christ, we come to realize that actually to bear his image together in the one new man. And so in him, we have boldness and confident access. We can march into God's office. Boldly. We can address him as daddy. 
Almighty God. We can ask for whatever's on our mind. We can share whatever anxiety we have. We can approach Him with anything and everything. In fact, we are invited to do so. And we are not, there's no reproach. God doesn't look at you, and even though you are a sinner, He doesn't look at you and say, what are you doing in here? Ever. In Christ, He says, where have you been? I have been looking forward to seeing you. Because you are a trophy of the riches of my grace in Christ. You are the exhibit. Angels, get a load of this guy. Sinner. Worst of all sinners. Paul's already standing there. He gets Paul. He says, hey, angels, look at this guy. Nobody worse than him. Here he is. In Christ, here he is in the one new man. Here he is, welcome in the presence of God Almighty. In him, we have boldness and confident access. Now, the phrase here is through faith. (laughs) And the translations all say through faith in him. This translation that I'm reading from today says through our faith in him. Now, that's very interpretive, actually, because what it says is, I'm going to translate this very literally now, through faith of him. Now, whose faith are we talking about? It's actually, in the Greek, ambiguous. In other words, It makes sense in the context to translate it like they've done, which says, through our faith in Him. How did we come to have this bold access? Through our faith in Christ. But it might also say, or it might say instead, through His faithfulness, which is even more true. We believe, and that's how we receive these these things. We say, yeah, okay, that's good. I'll have that. I see Christ as Christ. I receive that gift freely by faith. But the reason I can is because of His faith. Because He's true. Because He's faithful. Because He came here, gave His life, redeemed us. And so this great story, this great mystery is revealed in Christ. And this proclamation, this revelation, while it's for the angels, it's also announced here and now to us so that people might see the surpassing riches of Christ and trust in it, and become one of those. Well, realize that they are one of those. This mysterious way, our God is the great 
storyteller. We are participants in the story he is telling. We have, this story has a hero, and that hero is Christ. And our vision of him has been made possible by the work of his spirit in us. And by his power, not by ours, we see these things. Father, thank you for this amazing story. Lord, I pray that we would be amazed by it. That your grace would always prove stunning and overwhelming in our eyes. That the love of Christ would get a hold of us. That because we've received this great announcement, we would share this great announcement. And we would exhibit the goodness of our God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.